we are in the midst of a series entitled, Can You Relate?, in which we are looking at the Apostle Paul's words in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapters 5 and 6, about how we relate in our relationships, and namely that of marriage with our spouses, uh, that of the family, and even in the workplace. And today in our series, it brings us to the subject of children and parents. don't have a whole lot of jokes for you this morning, but I did find three little quotes that I thought were, were pretty appropriate. One person said, parenting is mostly just informing your kids how many more minutes they have of something. Someone else summarized parenting this way. We spend the first 12 months of our children's lives teaching them to walk and talk, and the next 12 years telling them to sit down and be quiet. I really like this one. I told Marcy this one yesterday. Uh, one mother said, my daughter asked me what it's like to have kids, so I interrupted her every 11 seconds until she started crying. So that's pretty on point in a lot of ways. Uh, kids are great, though. I, I mean, I, I love kids, but let's just be honest, kiddos. You drive us nuts sometimes. You do. Uh, you drive us crazy, but we love you. I love my kids. And it is a great blessing. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of work, but it is also a gift and a blessing uh, to be able to be a parent because children are a gift from God, uh, no matter how much they drive us nuts. But on the other side of that, parents are also a gift from God, no matter how much they may drive us nuts sometimes, whether we're little kids uh, or big kids. And so, you know, the subject of, of kids and families, obviously not all of us are parents, although most of us are, many of us are. But all of us are children of somebody. And so this message, uh, this subject is applicable to, to each and every one of us. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, uh, starting in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. So Paul is writing here to uh, believers in the church of, uh, uh, at Ephesus to help them connect, as we've talked about throughout this series, to help them connect their relationship with Jesus Christ to those other core relationships in their family, be it in the marriage with their spouse or in the family with kids or with parents, how parents interact with kids, how kids interact with parents, and even in the workplace. And, and I think it's interesting that in this particular part of the letter, Paul addresses something particularly to kids. Now, in those days, kids were an afterthought. We talked a little bit about this last week, that women were looked at as less than, and, and children were even further down the rung uh, than that. They, they just, they, you know, that old idiom, there to be seen and not heard. I'm not even sure they were supposed to be seen a lot of times. And so uh, children weren't often acknowledged in a public setting, and yet Paul comes along and he acknowledges them in a very significant way because there is something that they need to hear that, that he's going to tell them. Uh, but secondly, I, I also think it's significant because he's acknowledging them in a way that says, you know what, you're not just an afterthought. You are a part of, of the church here and, and, and even today, you think about some of the things that we'll say. We'll say things like, and I know we mean well, but we'll say something along the lines of, well, children are the church of tomorrow, right? We, we say that sometimes. Children are the church of tomorrow. And, and I hope they are. I hope they're a huge part of the church tomorrow, but they are a part of the church today. They are leaders, hopefully, of tomorrow, but they are a part of, of the church today. And because they are a part of the church today, uh, God has some instructions for them today, both for little kids and big kids. So just because you're not under the age of whatever you term a kid, there's still words for you and I and instructions for you and I as big kids, because we, you know, many of us, our parents are still 
living. And even if they're not, maybe there's some wisdom that we can speak into uh, the lives of others. And the first point, I guess the first instruction is, is this. Children are called to live under their parents. Children are called to live under their parents. And in particular, this is a word for, or an instruction for children who are still living at home, growing up under the authority of their parents. Although again, this is still, I think it's applicable to to those of us who are big kids and, and our parents are grown, it's not exactly the same. It's a little bit different. But that word for obey in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, really literally means to stand under. It's the idea of you, you are standing under their authority. And actually has a military context to it, which kind of makes sense if you think about the context of which Paul is writing these things. We talked about this the last couple of weeks that at the end of this section of relationships, Paul comes along and, and he talks about how our, our battle really isn't against the, the people that are right in front of our face. It's really not against the, our spouse or our kids or our parents or those in the workplace. Our battle, and we, we may struggle with those relationships, but our battle is, is against the, the unseen forces that are around us. And, and so in those relationships, it, it isn't against flesh and blood, it's against the forces of evil that are at work and around us. And in many ways, it's in the marriage and in the family and in the workplace where we encounter the reality of the spiritual battle that's going on. And so it really shouldn't be too surprising that he used language because children are not immune to the spiritual battles that are going on. Kids are not immune to Satan's attacks. And sometimes we just think of ourselves as, as, as adults and, you know, that, that's when Satan really, no, I mean, he, he's, he's ruthless. And he starts from the earliest of ages. And you think about some of the, the messages that our kids are hearing. And, and it's amazing to me, Marcy, you know, my wife teaches first grade. And some of the things that she talks about that first graders are talking about. You don't think Satan's at the heart of some of those things and families and what they're getting on, on TV and, and even in our families here. Satan is at work. He doesn't wait until you're of a certain age to start attacking you. It's like, well, they're not 12 yet, so I really can't hit them, you know. They haven't gotten to 13. They're not a teenager yet, or they're not whatever age that, that we think of. He targets from the earliest of ages. And yet God has given us parents to serve as kind of commanding officers while we're growing up so that we can be guided and directed through the battles. And, and following the instructions of godly parents, it can, it can keep us from a lot of bad choices that, that we would otherwise make. And, and sometimes kids got to learn the hard way. I know I did, Right. I wish I'd have listened to my parents. I love the old Mark Twain line that he says, uh, it's amazing, you know, when I was 17 or 15 or however old he was, he said, I thought my dad didn't know anything. And then I got to 21 and it was amazing how much he had learned in seven years or six years, you know. And, and we forget that our parents have been there. They've seen these things. It doesn't mean that they're perfect, but listening to our parents can save us from a lot of heartache and a lot of bad choices that, that can even affect the quality of our life and even the length of our lives at some times. And I, I don't mean to be co- you know, coarse about that. I mean, some of you have experienced that as parents or as grandparents, that you've seen the, the ultimate experience of that. And children have made choices that have cost them their lives. And I think that's a little bit of what Paul is saying when he says, honor your father and mother, which is the first, com- first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. It's not just a, a, a blessing out of, you know, kind of, Midair, it is to say that there's quality of life and a length of life that comes from listening to your parents. You know, so often in our, our culture, we have this distorted view of authority. But when you read through Scripture, really what you find, it's not some dictatorship. 
It's not some my way or the highway type of mentality. But as God defines authority, it really is meant to be leadership that promotes life and growth. And that, that's what a leader is to do, whether that be a leader in the church as an elder, whether that be you know, part of my responsibilities as a preacher and minister, whether that be in, in the role of a parent, whether that be even in the role of a husband. We talked about that authority uh, in, in, in the marriage. The, the idea is to promote life and growth. That's the idea of, of leadership. Authority is the laying down of boundaries and, and the giving of, of protection and direction that promotes life and growth in those you are leading and those that you have authority over. And our parents are given authority over us as children for the sake of our life and growth. Now, I'm sure that there's times, there have been times and there are times where it feels like your parents, and I don't need amens from you kids, where it feels like your parents are trying to squeeze and squelch the life out of you, right? Why do you make me do this? I mean, I know I had plenty of times growing up where it felt like all my parents wanted to do was hold me back from doing most of the time what I wanted to do, right? That's what it comes down to. But, but most of the time, that's not the case. And we look back and I look back and I, I do think there were times when my dad just did things because he wanted to make me mad. But, you know, I still do some of those too. You know, I still do some of those to make my, my kids mad, if I'm honest. But most of the time, our, our parents are, are there to promote life and growth, to help us in that endeavor. And God has given authority to parents with the purpose of promoting that life and growth. But, but not only does it, does it help us in following the instructions of godly parents to, to protect us and develop us, but I think it also sets the stage for how we live under the authority of God. You know, this is, this is a struggle so much, just this idea of living under authority. I mean, you, you see this in our culture. Nobody has any respect for authority nowadays. Nobody has any respect for, for those in charge. I mean, I'm just going to do what I want. I don't care what you, what you say. I, I used to think growing up, maybe you thought this too. I can't wait for the day that I get out of my parents' house and I don't have to answer to anybody. I've been out of my parents' house for 20 years now. And I've yet to see the day when I don't have to answer to anybody, Right? I mean, we, we all have somebody that we have to answer to. And when it comes to authority, the greatest authority we have to answer to is ultimately God. And you think about this. A child who won't obey a parent who they can see, how are they then going to obey a God who they can't see? If I'm a child and I'm not living in obedience, it doesn't mean you're going to get it right all the time, but I'm not living in obedience to a parent that I can see. How am I going to live in obedience to a God whom I can't see? On the flip side, when, when children are obeying their parents, they're also obeying and revering Christ. You go back to the very first scripture in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Submit to each other out of reverence for Christ, right? And so part of that is, and now that's, part of that is in the marriage section, but part of that is for children as well. We, we submit as children to our parents out of reverence for Christ. We are worshiping him. Paul says, obey your, your parents because it's the right thing to do. It's the godly thing to do, and it's the right thing and the godly thing to do because that's what God has set up from the very beginning. And so when a child obeys a parent, that's an act of obedience and reverence to Christ. But I think it's also important to understand the other side of the equation. And I, I, I thought about how do I go, you know, say this because I don't want to get too too hyperbole, but I don't think it is to say this. By choosing not to obey and to honor your parents, you are choosing to honor and obey someone who does not have your best interest at heart. 
There's really only two choices here. And if you choose not to submit to the authority of your parents given by God, then you, in essence, are choosing to submit to the so-called wisdom of this world, and you are putting yourself under Satan's authority. And that's a scary dynamic. There's really only two choices here. Either as children, we submit to the authority of our parents, or we submit to the authority of Satan. And Satan's got some tricks up his sleeve, and what he promises is pleasure and fulfillment and things that only bring, in the end, disappointment and destruction. He appeals to our desire for immediate gratification. He promises us freedom from stifling rules. Nobody can hold you down. You need to do what you, you want to do, and, and nobody can tell you what to do. He appeals to the pride of our intellect. And he says, you, you just need to think for yourself. Don't accept the outdated standards of God's word. But when you follow him, you become a slave to him and ultimately to destruction and corruption. Let me just say to any child or teenager who's struggling with obeying mom, obeying dad, or obeying mom and dad, when you live in obedience to them, you are revering and worshiping Christ. And your call to obey them is regardless of how great and awesome they are. You've got great parents. You've got great, but your call to obey them is regardless of whether they are great or not. Your call is to obey them. That doesn't mean they don't make mistakes, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But your call is to obey them, and you're worshiping Christ when you are obeying your parents and living under their authority. And he will bless you. But there's also a second call here to children, and this kind of gets a little bit closer to us as older children. Not only are we called to live under our parents, but we're also called to lift up our parents. Again, I, as Paul says in verse two, quoting, this is from the 10 commandments all the way back, honor your father and mother. Now understand, it's possible to live under your parents and obey your parents without honoring your parents and lifting up your parents, right? It's possible to do one and not do the other. And by the way, again, scripture doesn't say anything about whether or not your parents are honorable, it just says you honor your father and mother. So how do we do that? Well, let me give you a couple of suggestions. First of all, just uh, these are really quick. Accept their role. Just accept their role, their God-ordained role as your parents. You may not like living under the authority of someone else. Too bad. It's the reality of how God set it up. And there will come a day, you know, my parents always say, there will come a day when you can parent your kids, right? But right now, and you're still, you're still going to be their kid. You're always gonna be somebody's kid, right? But you are called to live under the authority of your parents. And so accept their role in your life. And by the way, this is also for us older kids. We, we need to accept our parents' role in our lives too. And, and sometimes our parents don't make the greatest of choices again throughout life, but accept their role. Proverbs chapter one, verse eight <clears throat> says this. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. And that goes for whatever age you're at. Our parents are called to serve as authorities over us for our sake. In fact, even Jesus had to accept the role of his parents, his God-ordained, their God-ordained role in his life. You remember when Joseph and Mary, and this is in Luke chapter 2, Joseph and Mary kind of lose track of, of Jesus because he wanders off and they, they find him. He's teaching, he's preaching in the temple courts, talking to the, uh, the teachers, listening, them, uh, listening to them and asking some questions. And I can imagine that there was some kind of conversation like any conversation would be from a parent to a child that they haven't seen. You know, you've lost them. What were you thinking? I don't know how it went down, but I do know what Luke says after that. 
in verses 51 and 52. It says, then he went down to Nazareth with them. Jesus went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus is under his parents' authority. And Luke says that he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. As imperfect as Jesus' parents were, and as perfect as Jesus was, he still lived under the authority of his parents. So kids, unless you're as perfect as Jesus, or more perfect than Jesus, you still have to be and are called to live under the authority of your parents. Even Jesus accepted that role in his life. Secondly, I think another way we honor our parents is that we meet their needs. And maybe this is a little bit more for, uh, for us older kids, because there's going to come a time when you are going to have to take care of your parents just like they took care of you when, when you were younger. Speaking of Jesus, you remember what he had the presence of mind to say from the cross in John chapter 19. He says this, he says, or John writes, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5, 4, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. And so looking to meet their needs, something that Paul tells Timothy to do and to teach and something that Jesus did from the cross is yet another way that we lift up and honor our parents. And then the third way I would just say is extend them grace. Give some grace to your parents. Someone once said that being a parent is the hardest job you will ever love. I like that. And that is true. It's hard being a parent for a number of reasons, not the least of which is just because you are a parent doesn't mean you're not a sinner. Just because you are a parent doesn't mean that you're not a sinner. And our parents, or excuse me, and our kids as parents, we need to, I think sometimes, and I know I'm guilty of this, we do a poor job of of showing our kids and letting our kids know how much we need Jesus to, how much we don't cut it oftentimes to. Even when parents are at their best and trying their best, we're still going to make mistakes. And that's not even taken into account when we're not at our best, right? And just because you are a parent doesn't mean that you're not a sinner. And as parents, some of this falls on us because we don't need to give our, our kids the impression that we're perfect or that we don't need Jesus. And yet so often we, we do it. Oftentimes it's unintentionally, but we tend to fall into that. You know, and, and so we don't need to carry ourselves with, with this mentality that, that we are perfect or to give off this impression that we are perfect or that we don't need Jesus because being a parent doesn't mean that you are no longer a sinner. I was reading a book about how oftentimes we do this as parents and, and they even pointed out oftentimes it's not intentional, but we, we do it and, and we just give off this vibe. Maybe it's because we don't want our kids to see us vulnerable, but I thought the, the question was very appropriate and it was very convicting to me. The question was, how often or when's the last time that you apologized to your kids for something that you did? Now you think about that. When's the last time that you apologized to your children for a mistake that you made? I get that our kids don't need to know everything that we struggle with, but that's so convicting to me. Because it's not healthy for our kids. We, I, I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together. Now, most kids, it doesn't take very long to figure that out. Mom and dad don't have it all together. 
but our kids, it's not healthy for us to live under the illusion or for our kids to live under the illusion that we don't need Jesus as much as anybody else does. Because we're not perfect. And we're going to need our children to cut us some slack and extend some grace. And, and I, I, recognize, um, I recognize these are tall orders for some of you. Because there's not the greatest of relationships with your parents for any number of reasons. But I would just remind you that what God calls us to do, he also empowers us to do. And remember what Paul says in, in verse 18 of chapter 5, that, that we are to be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk on wine or consumed or, or filled up with the things of this world, but be filled with the Spirit. And when we are filled with God's Spirit, He's there to guide us and empower us every step of the way. But children aren't the only ones who have instructions in this passage from, from uh, Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, and I'm going to try and get through this as quickly as I can. I tried to even it up that I've got as much information on parents as I do on kids. So we'll try and divide it up evenly because we know we need it as parents. And even if you don't think you need it, you do. Uh, to be clear, Paul does speak directly to fathers here, but really the, the instructions are meant, the sentiment here is for both parents, not just the dads, but for moms and dads as well. So let's look at the instructions for parents. And the first one I would just give you is this. Parents are called to be gentle and humble in how we relate to our children. Parents are called to be gentle and humble in how we relate to our children. In verse 4, Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. I think he probably says that to dads because he knows dads are going to be more prone to do that. That word exasperate means to make someone angry to the point of them resenting you. Now, it doesn't have to go always that far, but that's kind of the, the mentality behind that language. I like how the New Living Translation puts it says, don't make your children angry by the way you treat them. Now, sometimes people are going to get angry because they want to get angry. And sometimes your kids are going to get angry because they don't like what you've told them, okay? And so, kids, let me just be clear. This is not Paul saying that parents have to cater to their kids every need, and if they say something that their kids don't like, to get down on their hands and knees and beg for forgiveness that they ever ask them to clean their room, make the bed, eat the vegetables, or any of the following instructions. That's not what Paul is saying here. But I will say that as in the case with husbands and wives, so often we put the, the onus all on, or culture a lot of does, puts, the, well, says that scripture does, puts the onus all on the wife, that it's the wife's role to submit, you know, and it's the wife's role to respect. I will say that... The, it's not all on the kids simply to just obey everything that a parent says. There's also a duty that you and I as parents have. There's also a responsibility that you and I as parents have. And, and, and parents, while we have that duty, we also do, though, have a, a right to expect obedience. As a parent, I have a right to expect obedience. My parents did. Now, I may not have a, a right to expect that they will always obey, okay, you know, they're, they're still children too, but I have a right to expect obedience, and yet Paul is also reminding parents, especially dads, that that doesn't mean that you and I get to abuse the authority that we've been given. I was thinking about this, and I talked to a couple of you about this in dealing with teenage kiddos. I know what pushes my kids' buttons. We know what pushes our kids' buttons, right? And dads, this is why I say dads are a little bit better at this than, than moms are. But my kids know what pushes my buttons too, but I know what pushes their buttons. And, and, and just like they push my buttons, 
Sometimes I push theirs. Now, sometimes it's funny. Actually, a lot of the times it's funny for me. Not always funny for them. But it's also very, there's a line there, right? And we know sometimes that we can cross that line and we can all too easily exasperate our children in how we use and sometimes abuse our power and authority. You following me? One of the challenging things about power is that we can all too easily gravitate towards a show of it in order to get people to do what we want them to do. And even if we, what we want them to do is a good thing, the way we use our power and authority to motivate them may not be a good thing. Now, I'm not saying it's got to be all flowers and butterflies and kumbaya. I'm not saying that at all. There are some times, and some, maybe sometimes a lot of times, that a parent has to lay down the law. And there are times when our children need to know who is, there are times when you could say fear, maybe respect is a better word. I would maybe say respectful fear, where that is an appropriate motivator, where your kids need to know, I know who's in charge and I need to follow them. I need to submit to their authority. But the reality is that while respectful fear can be a positive motivator, I don't think it's healthy when it's the only motivator or when it's the default motivator. Does that make sense? Like, that can't be the default every time that our kids are just afraid of us. And, and, and even if it's a good, respectful fear, that, that ought not to be the primary motivator or the default motivator. And I think that's part of what Paul is getting to when he talks about how that fear can then provoke our children and exasperate our children driving them to resentment and anger, both in the short term and the long term. So what's the alternative? Well, I've already kind of alluded to this, but I I like, I guess we can take our cue from Jesus. That's a pretty good place to take our cue from. He says this in in Matthew chapter 11. And now this has to do with how he relates to us as his disciples. But I think it's a good cue for us as how we disciple and, and instruct and bring up our children. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 11, 29. He says, take my yoke upon you. And yoke here is the idea of teaching and instruction and how we live this out. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus isn't exasperating in his teaching and training of us. He's gentle and humble and we would be wise to do the same in our training of others, especially when it comes to our children. And there ought to be, you know, a good question to ask in your family when you think about, am I using fear as a primary motivator? I would just challenge you and me to ask this question. What's the level of peace and security in my household? Because if the level of peace and security in my household is not very high, then maybe fear is is a little bit too much of a motivator. It doesn't mean it can't be a motivator, but it ought not to be the primary motivator. Jesus is humble and gentle in his training of us, and we'd be wise to do the same when it comes to our kids. Now, the good news is God's spirit is within us if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and with his spirit comes a ready supply, because we need it, of patience and gentleness and self-control. I mean, I thought I needed self-control when I was a teenager. I need it way more when you're raising teenagers, right? You know, for some of you, uh, I'm not there yet, but I've got kids, and we, we need those. And the good news is that's ready. That's right there for us uh, as followers of Jesus Christ. And that's, that ought to be something, if you're not praying for a fresh filling of God's Spirit each and every day, then, then you're missing the boat.
because it's there and it's available to us. And, and God desires to give us that patience and gentleness and, and self-control when it comes to raising our kids. And then lastly, here's the, the second thing that I want to share uh, that parents are called to. And that is that we are called to be intentional in how we raise our children. We're called to be intentional in how we raise our children. I saw a survey that was done a couple of years ago by a family life specialist. And in the survey, they, they found three things that, that dads in particular say to their kids. Three things. Number one, I'm busy or I'm too busy. Number two, we don't have enough money. And number three, be quiet. I'm too busy. We don't have enough money. Be quiet. Or some semblance, you know, some variation of those. You know, and the thing about those remarks is that they're all reactionary. We're all reacting to a request that's made of us or, or something that's asked of us, something that's going on. You know, the, be quiet. I'm trying to fill in the blank. But the question I would just ask of us is, what are you being intentional about? We all have good intentions, but what are you being intentional about? What are you aiming for when it comes to your kids? What are we aiming for? What are we intentional about? You know, and, and certainly spending time with our kids and, and, and not just responding with, I'm too tired or we can't do this or be quiet and leave me alone so I can do this. Spending time with our kids is important and being involved with our kids is important, but it's more than that. It's more than just what you, what, you know, the, the time you spend with your kids. We've got to be intentional about how we're spending time with our kids. Now, I'm not saying you can't just do things and have fun together. I'm, that's part of it. But we've got to be intentional about what we are doing with our kids, even in how we think about our own lives and what's important and what success is all about and how we spend our time. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, he says, bring them up in the training instruction of the Lord. Like, that's the focus. A lot of different things you can do, but are you doing that with your kids? Because it starts there. I like how the message translation puts it. It says, take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. Here's the reality. Godliness is not inherited. Godliness is not caught like a cold. Godliness is instilled. Godliness is taught. Godliness is intentional. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, Paul writes, he says, physical training is of some value, but godliness, in other words, spiritual training, has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. The greatest gift you can give your children, both now and over the long haul, is to be intentional in raising them up in the training and instruction of Jesus Christ, to take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. And it holds promise not just for the next life, but for this life, for this side of the grave. You know, we live in a day and age where moms and dads have plans for all kinds of things for their kids. You got plans for how your kids are going to succeed in school. You know what? And if your kid's struggling in school, what do you do? You get them a tutor. You work on that. You sit down and do it. You got plans for how your kids are going to succeed in a certain sport, right? And if your kids are, are struggling, what do you do? You take them out in the backyard and you hit the baseball and you do it over and over again. Or you throw the football or you kick the soccer ball. Or if there's a, a certain, you know, maybe it's a musical instrument that you want them to play. You know, and so you work, well, maybe you don't work on that. You have them go outside in the garage and work on that, you know. Or, 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 or socially, we've got a plan for how our kids are going to excel socially. Let me ask you this question. Do you have a plan for how your kids are going to excel in Jesus Christ? Because you work on so many other things. And you make sure that those things are worked on. How much time do we, we work out the plan for how our kids are going to excel 
in their relationship with Jesus Christ? Which one's more important? I want my kid to hit the baseball far, <laughs> you know, but I want him to love Jesus. Because if he doesn't love Jesus and he ain't got a baseball far, what does that matter in the end? I hope he does both. But what are we teaching them? One person put it this way. This is a parent's highest duty. Parents should care more for their children's relationship with Jesus Christ than for anything else. More than for their health, more than for their intellectual brilliance, more than for their material prosperity or their social prosperity, even more than their exemption from great sorrows and great misfortunes. We teach our kids so many things, and we hold up so many things that are important, and they are. But how important is teaching them about a relationship with Jesus Christ? Because there's nothing that we can teach them and nothing that we can hold up that is as important as our training them in the instruction of Jesus Christ. Not one single thing. And let me tell you as parents, your children's relationship with Jesus will only be as important as your relationship with Jesus. Your children will only find Jesus as important if you find Jesus as important. If it's just something you happen to do on the weekends, then... You know, we, we have an epidemic in our culture of 18 to 22-year-olds, 18 to 25-year-olds saying see you to the church. And studies show a lot of that has to do with parents making, making Jesus Christ a weekend thing instead of a lifetime thing. I mean, you think about this. If the only time that your kids get Jesus is for a half-hour sermon, well, it depends on how long the preacher goes, but for half-hour or 40 minutes or however long on a Sunday morning, if that's the only thing you get, and if we're not intentional about living it, and teaching it, they're not going to be intentional about learning it and following it. Here's the good news. You're not alone on the journey. You're not alone on the journey, or at least you don't have to be. Now, the church isn't meant to be a substitute for the role that you and I as parents play. That's, that's still our duty. That's still our responsibility. But the church can be a huge supplement in helping us to raise our children. That's why we have Bible classes. Again, you know, if your kids, you don't send your kids to school, they'd love for you to send them to school one day a week, but you don't send your kids to school one day a week. If they're involved in sports, you don't send them to practice one day a week. You don't, you don't say, well, let's just go hit two baseballs outside. You know, no, you, what can I do? That's why we have things like VBS and, 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 and other you know, children's activities, and we try to do things, and we're not great at it, but we're trying to, to, to involve you and get you involved. That's why it's so important to get connected with other families and with other people, with other parents, for us to tap into the wisdom of experienced parents and to learn from their both. I mean, you can learn sometimes as much from people's failures as you can from their victories, what not to do, but also the victories too, you know, and that's important to be able to have those connections, for, for us to surround ourselves with, with other, you know, our kids, other family, spiritual family members, right? What's the old line? It takes a village to raise a child. Well, the, why isn't that true spiritually? It is. And we have aunts and uncles and grandparents, and, and we need spiritual family members to help raise our kids and instruct them and train them in Jesus Christ. I mean, I still need that. I've got kids of my own, but I still need to be instructed. I still need, you know, and some of you, you know, you, I mean, I feel like I've got grandparents. I've got spiritual grandparents here, spiritual parents here, spiritual aunts and uncles, uncles, brothers and sisters. And we need that. Our children need that. And so if you're not already, I would just challenge you to get involved, to get connected, to get plugged in, take advice and instruction. Don't think you've got it all figured out. Nobody's perfect, but we have so many great men and women here, moms and dads, who would love to share their wisdom or their failed experiences 
and, and help you and help us to grow our kids together because you weren't meant to do this alone. There is help on the journey of raising our kids in the training instruction of the Lord. I'll just close with this. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 7, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Again, there are a lot of things that we can teach our kids and a lot of things that are important. I'm not saying those things are not important. But I would just challenge you to make loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, what we talk about and what we teach our children, or in some of your cases, your grandchildren, or in some of your cases, you still need to teach your children as they're, they're grown up. We still need that instruction to teach your children to live that out above everything else. And I just pray that we will live that and that we will raise our children to live this life with the next in mind. Because that's all that really matters. That's all that really matters.